Hello guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pension Prevention Podcast. Today we have a special interview for you all today. Today we are joined by Becky Sawyer, the Survivor Services Navigator of Albion Fellows Bacon Center. Hello Becky. Hi guys, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, happy to be here. Um, so our first question is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be at Albion? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. My degree is in human services. I went to school at Indiana University in Bloomington. Um, I lived in Bloomington for another 22 years, and I worked for a transitional housing um, unit there for individuals who'd experienced domestic and sexual violence. So I kind of dipped my toes into the field there, decided that this was a population that I wanted to continue working with. And um, my husband retired from the Marine Corps, and it brought us back to Southern Indiana, which is where we're both from. So I've been in Albion now since 2018. Can you tell us a bit about Albion and what their mission is? Absolutely. Uh, so Albion serves 11 counties in Southern Indiana. Uh, most of our work is done in Vanderburg County, Gibson County, Posey County, and Spencer County, but we do serve 11 counties. And I won't rattle all those off because they're like Harrison County and uh, counties that seem like they're in a whole different part of the country. They're literally an hour away. Um, but we work as crisis response interventionists. So what we can do as navigators is respond to any safe, neutral location where someone has been a victim of either domestic sexual violence or has disclosed human trafficking. Um, so we can be on scene responders, first responders. We go to hospitals. We go to police stations. Uh, we'll go to anywhere that basically calls us in um, and then kind of assess the situation, offer services, inform the victims of their rights help them report to law enforcement if they choose to. Uh, and then if they need shelter, they can come back and stay with us for up to 45 days. Most of our clients do not need shelter. So we provide them more with legal advocacy components such as filing protective orders, um, accompanying them to court hearings. If there's a criminal process in place due to their victimization, uh, we work with the prosecutor's office and law enforcement and kind of help them access the services that they need. Uh, so Albion's mission is to prevent domestic and sexual violence and to empower victims through advocacy, education, support services, and collaborative partnerships. So empowerment is a huge part of our model. We are working with individuals who have had power and control taken from them. So it's really important to us to give that back to them. Thanks. I love, I love the work that you guys <laughs> Thank do. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a bit about maybe some of your experiences working with survivors of domestic violence? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I have worked with, I don't know how many people at this point, um, but it's a lot. And I'll tell you kind of a common denominator, so to speak, amongst all of them is that um, they are rebuilding in lots of ways. So they've had a lot taken from them in this relationship. Not only the power and control that you generally, 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 excuse me, think of, um, but also financially they've been abused. Um, emotionally, they've been broken down to a point where they don't have a lot of confidence in themselves. And a lot of them are kind of looking for ways to 
build a new foundation, so to speak, so that they can move forward. Um, so I've had clients, uh, lots of them who have come to us and said, I think I'm experiencing violence. I don't know. Let's talk. This is what's going on. And then after assessing their situation, we can validate them and say, yes, this is definitely domestic violence. Abusers are notorious for teaching their victims that what they're experiencing is not domestic violence. They're very good at twisting that narrative to paint themselves as the victim. And there's a lot of mind control that kind of factors into these relationships. So oftentimes my clients may have been with this individual for several years. So when they come to us, they're really just kind of a baby, so to speak, just trying to find their way in the world again. Um, so with lots of these individuals, we're able to say, yes, this is violence. Um, and yes, we can help you get out if you'd like. And then we put together an action plan. And so I have really had the privilege of watching countless survivors walk away from abusive relationships and create their own better future for themselves and sometimes their children as well. Um, so that's inspiring work. And that's the really fun part about what we do. It takes a lot of work to get there, but we go with them through the divorce hearings. We go with them um, through all the family court battles. So we're talking custody, child support, whatever it might be. If our clients have to go face their abuser in court, we don't want them to have to go alone. So um, that's a big component of what we do. And I made that kind of general rather than giving you a survivor story. Um, but that's kind of, that's what it looks like oftentimes. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it looks like they come to us and we educate them on our services and we educate them on domestic violence and they choose to go back. And we understand that as well. But what we try very hard to do is to ensure them that they can always reach out to us and that we don't judge them for that at all. We understand the cycle of violence. Uh, so we like to keep that door open so they can come back and get the help that they need when they're ready to access those services. And that's that's why I think it's so important to spread the word about domestic violence because someone could, you know, think that like, you know, their relationship is, you know, going perfectly fine. And then they, they reflect and hear, you know, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. on a limb, they hear our podcast and think, oh, absolutely. wow, this could be me. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Most people who are experiencing domestic violence don't call it that and don't refer to the individual that they love as their abuser. They use completely different language. So um, to them, you're right. It isn't always bad. I mean, if someone were to punch us in the face and call us names on our first date, chances are there wouldn't be a second date. These individuals come in and love bomb them and tell them how incredible they are and fill all these voids that they have in their life. And so they feel complete. They feel supported. And then slowly but surely, the red flags start to appear. So you're absolutely right. I have a, I had when Maid came out. I don't know if you guys watched that on Netflix. I had so many people calling our crisis line and saying, I just watched Maid. And I think I need to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. So podcasts, books, anything that can kind of continue this really, really important conversation um, is very, very helpful to survivors in the community. 
That's actually a perfect segue. Okay. Because I heard what you had said, and I heard a little bit what Kazi said about like people not really knowing if they're in a, like a domestically violent situation. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could let us know like what domestic violence can look like in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it can look like numerous <laughs> different things, unfortunately, and that's what makes it kind of vague. And there's a lot of gray areas there. So I think that's what keeps a lot of individuals in that limbo state where they think, am I experiencing domestic violence? People have it worse than I do. He's not hitting me. So how bad can it be? Um, So this is an important question. I'm glad you're bringing it up. Um, There are really five different types of violence. And physical violence, of course, is one of them. That's the hitting, the slapping, the kicking. Another thing that physical violence is, which I always like to talk about, is it's reckless driving with someone in the vehicle if you put them in fear of their lives. It's punching holes in the walls. It's kicking in a door, even though you're not physically hurting this individual by putting your hands on them, the the implication is that this could be you next. Do you see how dangerous and scary I am? I can hurt you too. Um, So physical violence is the one that everyone kind of associates most, most with domestic violence. What we see the most of is emotional violence, um, psychological abuse, which is way more undercover, sneaky, sly, so to speak. So that flies under the radar um, much more. And that would be more of the gaslighting techniques, you know, where um, I'm just joking. You can't even take a joke. I didn't say that to hurt your feelings. Why are you so defensive? Right. Or, um, you know, for example, I said twisting the narrative earlier. Um, A lot of gaslighting is changing the entire conversation to paint themselves as a victim in that moment okay so well why do you treat me this way why listen to you you just yelled at me they don't think about the fact that they may have been picking and prodding at you for days weeks months before that and everyone kind of you know gets angry and sometimes um, a little bit verbal in those moments but what an abuser will then do is say look at you And most normal humans in that moment are not proud of their behavior. We're not proud of that response. And so we do feel guilty and that's what they intend. And then they play on that. Um, Emotional violence is a lot of um, isolating. So, you know, let's, we see a lot of, well, you, you know, your mom is really overbearing. She wants to spend all her time with you. Like I need some time too. I'm your significant other. You know, she needs to let you go. You're growing up, whatever it might be. Um, and that then becomes, well, you're not going to see mom as much because you're spending more time with, you know, your partner. And then before you know it, you feel like maybe you can't go to mom with this anymore. Um, we cover a lot for our abusers, uh, because we love them and that's normal. That's what you do for people you love. But then it kind of backfires on us later sometimes because, People are saying, well, what do you mean? What do you mean this individual treats you this way? Um, So emotional violence, psychological violence, definitely. Spiritual violence is also something. uh, Mainly we see that more in marriages, but an individual will will basically say, you've taken these vows. Um, This is what you owe to the church. This is what you owe to God. We're not going to, you know, you'll go to hell if you do not, if you end this marriage or what about our children? We're raising them to be all these things. And they'll use Bible verses actually that they'll pull out as ways to um, make the victim feel bad about leaving. Um, So that's really a 
an effective one if if that is something that you rely on people who you know are very strong in their faith communities that's very impactful for them to say um another huge one is financial abuse and that happens more often in my clients um, who are a little bit older and lots of times have already established a family uh, we see situations where it's like oh don't work you stay home with the kids but then this individual has no access to the money, has to ask for an allowance, so to speak. Or sometimes we see the reverse of that, where the abuser will say, I'm not working at all. Now you go earn all the money. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's both people are weren't earning the money, but the money is going into one account and maybe the victim doesn't have access to it. That keeps us stuck because then it's hard to leave. We can't leave if we don't have money. So we see that often. Another form of financial abuse is um, destroying someone's credit. And we see a lot of that as well. They'll open on several different accounts. They'll have utilities put in their name and their abuser will spend up the accounts, never pay them, um, allow the utilities to get disconnected because they're the ones who have access to the money to pay the bills um, and so on and for so forth, evictions. Um, so those sorts of things really keep people stuck, so to speak. That's really informative for like me and a lot of, I'm sure, listeners out there. I had no idea that there were so many different like ways that yeah. could be presented. Well, I'm happy to, that, I mean, you know, it's funny, not funny, nothing in my work's funny, okay? But it is, it's it's um, ironic because I guess after we do this for so long, it feels like everybody, oh, everybody knows these things already. So I'm happy to hear you say that because I'll tell you another thing that maybe I feel like anyone can benefit from hearing, and that is that the most um, effective form of abuse is threatening suicide. So um, what we see the most of when it comes to kind of that emotional real pool is, well, I'm going to kill myself and you're going to have to live with it. And no one wants that. And so it's a really um, effective uh, threat to make. And so I have a lot of clients who stay for those reasons. Another reason clients stay is because of their pets. We see that all the time. That's why Albion will allow them to bring their pets with them into shelter. So We've had a chicken <laughs> and dogs, cats, whatever it might be. If we can accommodate them and their fur friends, then we do so. Because the idea in my work is to eliminate all of those barriers that keep people stuck in these cycles. Uh, yeah, I think that I, I didn't think about how like people can find um, like peace with like an animal. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know a, a lot of people use them as like therapy mm -hmm. animals and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but I, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I'll tell you, it started all in Kansas city. Um, there was a woman who had been brutally assaulted, broken bones, and she would have been killed, but her great Dane laid on top of her and took the blows. And so this poor dog got hurt too. And so when she was looking for shelter and they said, you have to go to this emergency shelter, she said, I'm not leaving my dog. And they said, well, you can't take him with you. And she wasn't going to go. And so this Kansas, Kansas City shelter was like, absolutely, she needs to come here. Bring this 200 pound dog with you, it's fine. And that's kind of, they started what they call a safe pet program. So if we can't offer shelter to the animal for whatever reason. Some animals are aggressive and our clients are always really honest with us. 
then what we do is contact the Vanderbilt County Humane Society. They have a safe pet program and they'll take the animals and keep them for our clients while they're living um, at our shelter. So it's a really great program. Yeah, pets are important. So I think a really important question now is how would you say our viewers can help someone if they think they're um, experiencing domestic violence or what can they do if they think they are? Okay. So as a, as a support to someone who you think is experiencing domestic violence, the most important thing you can do is let them set the pace and be supportive to them and believe them. Believing is really where we start with everything in my work, because oftentimes, like I said, we've painted a picture of an individual that isn't maybe what reality looks like. So when we are then coming to those same people that we've been painting this pretty picture for and say, I'm being hurt, lots of times the response is, well, I can't believe that you're going through this, which is not always helpful. Because what's really important in that moment is to make them feel believed. And really, that can just be, I believe you. I'm so sorry that you're experiencing this. And then really putting the power back in their hands and saying, how can I help? How can I help? And if you've listened to this podcast or done a little bit of research for yourself, you can also say, look, there's agencies here locally that are free and confidential, and you can have one conversation with them, or you can work with them for years if you choose to. And I can give you some information. I can even go to that first appointment with you if you'd like. I can sit in the car. I don't have to be in there and hear everything. What's it going to take for me to help you get there and access the services that you need? Okay. Um, that's super helpful. The other thing is bystander. I just want to go into this really quickly. But if you see violence happening and you see something taking place, it's important to step up. OK, um, we don't ever recommend you step in and put yourself in danger, but there are things that you can do. And one of the things that we recommend is just to call it out. Hey, everything OK over there? You don't have to walk up close to this individual or create a distraction and try to get their attention um, just to kind of break up the situation. There's nothing wrong if you see something with saying something and calling 911 and saying, I don't know what's happening here, but it looks bad. If that's your neighbor, if it's something you drive by on the street, if it's something you see in the Walmart parking lot, um, it is really best to go ahead and try to uh, bring in supports if you think that they might be helpful. Um, if you think that they might be helpful. Now, if you say, hey, are you okay? Do you need help? And they say, no, absolutely not. Chances are they really don't want your help right then. And that's okay too. All right. You did your part, but it's important to understand that sometimes that might cause, especially if the abuser is nearby, it might cause them to even be in more danger once we walk away from the situation. Um, if you or any individual who's listening to this is experiencing violence, uh, what we always recommend that you do is First and foremost, give yourself a break and show yourself some grace because this happens to the smartest, brightest, most powerful individuals that you can imagine. Um, anyone can be a victim and a big part of kind of moving yourself out of that is removing all of the blame and shame that we put on ourselves when we've experienced this. So um, 
that's my biggest recommendation, but then also reaching out. Um, I know isolation is a thing and people feel like they've burned a lot of bridges, but I guarantee you there are people out there who care about you and who are willing to step in and step up and help you get what you need. So um, reach out to your people and say, hey, I need some help here. This is what's going on. Um, and if you're not comfortable doing that, you can call Albion 24-7. We have someone who answers the phone all the time. It might ring a couple times, but they will answer. And uh, we have crisis advocates basically on the line that can respond to any call that comes in. So if you just even need someone to talk to, you can always reach us at 812-422-5622. That is our crisis line. You can talk with someone once there if you'd like. They can help you do some safety planning. Um, and if you want to set up an appointment, you can do that through that number as well. Amazing. Thank you very much. There was a lot of very informative and helpful information in there. Thank you. Um, do you have any extra information that you would like to leave with our listeners? Um, just that these conversations are really, really important when we talk about the work that Albion does. Domestic sexual violence, human trafficking, and stalking are, um, you know, we see it on Dateline all the time, but that's not where we want to see it. So what we want are people to be able to feel comfortable having these kind of uncomfortable conversations because the more we talk about it, the more likely people are to reach out and access the services that they need so that we can keep it off of the news. Um, you know, ideally, we want to resolve it in a safe, healthy way, and um, we would like the opportunity to do that. So I know I'm speaking for all advocates out there when I say, um, even if you just have a couple questions, we'd much rather you call than not. I think the ultimate goal, too, is to have this topic as a normal thing to talk about. Definitely. Right? Remove mm -hmm. the stigma. Yes, yeah. definitely. We need to normalize it. it. It's one of those things that I think people, a lot of people have seen happen in their homes growing up. And so then they're taught that's not something you talk about elsewhere. You know, it's always been that hush, hush topic. And, and it shouldn't be. It's time for us to really drag it right onto the light and call it what it is. And um, the more we can talk in situations like this and have people hear what we're saying, it's um, really, really impactful. So thank you guys very much. Thank you so much for coming out today and being on our podcast. And thank you so much to our listeners at home for tuning in with us today.